Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, happy Monday! I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. If you missed the first hour, we would encourage you to check it out at myfaithradio.com or on the Faith Radio app. We talked about this anniversary of 9/11, and we also brought the mind of Christ to bear on some of the headline news of the day. So, I uh, encourage you to grab the podcast. It's always available. Um, so, Labor Day got me thinking about holidays, and um, and then I. And then I heard this story out of Georgia where this employer uh, is, you know, trying to manage how many holidays the the actually like the growing number of quote unquote holidays out there got me thinking about holidays. A holiday is a holy day. Just think about that. If you take the word two words, holy day, and you smoosh them together, you get the word holiday. So here in the United States of America, the federal government recognizes 10 holidays. I want you to think about these for just a moment. These are the 10 holidays or holy days, according to our very secular country, all right? New Year's Day, Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s birthday, it's the third Monday in January, Washington's birthday, also now known as President's Day, Memorial Day, Juneteenth, which is, uh, it's called Juneteenth National Independence Day, June the 19th, and then Independence Day, July the 4th. Labor Day, which we just celebrated on the first uh, Monday in September. Columbus Day, the second Monday in October, which I think a lot of people don't call Columbus Day anymore. Veterans Day, November the 11th. Thanksgiving Day, the fourth Thursday in November. And Christmas Day, December the 25th. You also uh, get a federal holiday um, in the years that we have a presidential inauguration. Um, and then there there are employers who, um, for, for whatever reason, don't recognize one of these holidays um, and they'll shift it to a different day because there are also all of these state and local holidays or, you know, like I, there's like rodeo days in Arizona and things like that. So... Why bring this up today? Well, <clears throat> because every employer makes the decision about how many um, how many holidays there are going to be um, for everyone, and then the comp days that will be offered if you have to work on one of those holidays. This is how, I mean, if, if you have a job, you know how this works, right? And then you also have a number of paid days off, right? And most people get 10 days of paid leave a year. Um, some employers allow you to accrue more time than that, like you accrue PTO paid time off, okay? And you can take it whenever you want. So let me just say this. If, in addition to the federal holiday of Christmas Day, you also want to have Christmas Eve as a holiday, then you take it as a paid day off, PTO, right? Paid time off. 
that's how that works. And so um, keep that in mind before you let the outrage machine that's trying to drive this particular story forward, before you allow the outrage machine to to catch you up into its <clears throat> grip, as I share this story with you, um, I want you to just think about the reality that you're already getting Christmas Day as a holiday. That's the federal holiday. If you're also getting Christmas Eve off, that's just an extra bonus and blessing. And if you want Christmas Eve off and it's not a holiday from your employer, take a paid day or take an unpaid day if you need to. If it's an important day to you, if Good Friday, you want that to be a holiday and it's not on your employer's uh, calendar and you want that that day off because it's a religious importance to you, then fine. Take a paid day or an unpaid day to take the day off. Don't rec- don't don't imagine that your employer is bound to offer um, the holidays that you think are significant or important, which leads us to this story from Emory, Emory Healthcare in Georgia, um, which is a large employer in the state of Georgia. They have 11 hospitals. They have 250 provider locations. um, And they were trying to figure out, um, you know, how to observe Juneteenth as as a new holiday for their organization and what they would, um, you know, what current day they would take away from employees as a holiday. Doesn't mean that the employees can't take it as a paid day off or an unpaid day, but it would not be a an organization-wide holiday. And so the, the day they removed is actually not a day that's on the federal list at all, and it's Christmas Eve. So um, they swapped Christmas Eve for Juneteenth. Um, and as you can imagine, the outrage machine is, <clears throat> is, is rolling. But I just want you to pause and think for a moment about um, holidays and the responsibility of employers and the responsibility of employees. And um, if you want to take more than one day for Christmas, then um, take it with PTO. That's what I do. I take paid I take paid time off. I save it up and then I take the week between Christmas and New Year's because that's important to me, right? Um, and Paul and I work ahead to to uh, record shows that we think will be a huge blessing. There's always uh, lots of good stuff during that week. All right, um, so be thinking ahead. Be thinking about how you're going to get the days off that you want and make them holy, holidays, holy days. Dr. Linda Mental is up next. We're going to talk about Um, the challenges that we face today in our culture related to the end of life and related to mental illness. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental is with us today. You can read what she is writing at drlindamental.com. You can hear her on the Faith Radio Network and the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can find that at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. Linda, good morning. Good morning. And I just want to say to the audience uh, that uh, this is a hard day sometimes for a lot of people who are listening because it's September 11th. And as someone who lost a brother to terrorism, a bomb on an airplane, every time this day comes around, I remember exactly where I was in the Jeep dealership watching the events uh, unfold 
And uh, just really, uh, my heart goes out to all the families who are still experiencing the loss of those loved ones and are dealing with disease and issues from the first responders who went into those buildings and were very courageous and brave. So just wanted to make that comment today of all days. Yeah, thank you so much. We talked about that at length in the first hour, and I appreciate you um, reminding us of your own story. I think that's part of our responsibility um, because not everyone has the same experience. Um, And so I think giving people the space and time today to say, hey, you know, where were you? What was your experience? Um, Particularly maybe with new friends that we have or if we've moved somewhere, um, you know, just today's a really good day to just ask that question because everybody does have a I remember where I was when story and, and a connection to to someone um, in some way uh, directly affected. Um, and so thank you. Thank you, Linda. And uh, yeah, it's important, important reminder. Thank you. Um, you were you were shocked um, by uh, a headline that you read um, about a month ago now. Can you tell us what that headline was and what shocked you about it? Yes. Um, well, every every day I get prompts because I teach at a medical school. So I get prompts from a group called Medscape. And usually they're updates, a lot of really great information that comes that my way every day, keeps me up to date on everything from what's going on with COVID vaccines and new things uh, in medicine. And so on August 3rd, there was a headline that read um, about euthanasia for mental illness And at the end of that colon was a line that said, right or wrong, question mark. And I was just really shocked that American America and American medicine would be even asking the question of whether or not we should be euthanizing people who are suffering with mental illness. So I read through the article and I, I I don't know, I was just, I teach ethics at the medical school. And so I understand uh, the, the, what the difference it makes with whatever worldview you have. And so I understand maybe why they would be asking the question, but I feel like it's a dangerous question and a dangerous slippery slope to start going down when we add mental illness already to physical illness in, in terms of the question of euthanasia. I feel like um, this is also one of those areas where people could be pressured into agreeing to something or seeming to ask for something that really is um, is a way out for people who should be caring for them. Does yeah, that make sense and it, at all? Yeah, and and so let's just do a little bit of um, let's do a little bit of what's been going on in the world in this area. So, you know, it's very disturbing. Uh, a number of years ago, the Netherlands okayed uh, physicians for euthanizing teenagers who felt that their mental illness was so severe and their suffering was so significant. The two the two things that they must satisfy is that the patient is has unbearable suffering. Uh, without prospect of improvement, and that there's no reasonable alternative. So that's the two criteria that the that the physicians use when a teenager as young as 16 can say, "I want to be euthanized because I'm a, I'm feeling unbearably, un, you know, I'm unbearably suffering." They do not need to have consent from their parents. If they're as young as 12, then their parents can consent 
to euthanizing them for mental illness. Mm. Now, let's just think about that because mm. at from 12 to 16, the brain is not fully formed. You do not make good decisions. You are very impulsive. I mean, anyone with a teenager can see how daily their condition changes. I'm not minimizing the suffering that teenagers with mental illness go through, but the idea that a teen without parental consent could go to a physician and say, I'm suffering, and they would agree that there's no prospect of improvement. Well, uh, you know, headline here, Carmen, in mental health, we don't always know what can improve somebody. There can be very chronic conditions. There can be a prognosis that's very difficult, but based on different things that can happen in a patient's life, people actually can get better. And I always go back to the research that I do when I'm teaching suicide prevention to the med- medical students. There, There's a story of a man who tried to die by suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. His name is Kevin Hines, very famous now. He's got a website and he, he works to help people. But what's so significant about that story is it's one of the most jumped off of bridges for suicide in the country. Uh, about 13 people or more, it may be a little bit more than that. Uh, maybe it's 35. I'm not remembering the stat. But some people survive the jump. And that's incredible because you go 75 miles an hour. It's four seconds to the bottom. The moment that Kevin Hines jumped off that bridge, convinced that there was no hope, there was no way out, this was his only alternative, he says he wanted to live. The moment he jumped, he regretted what he had done. And he managed to position his feet, going first feet in the water, and he actually survived. Um, And he now works in suicide prevention, and his message is, Even when you think there's no hope, even when you think there's nothing that can be done, there is hope and there is purpose in your life. And so he has devoted his life to help people. And I think, can we learn something from that? Even somebody who was ready to to do this had regret the moment that he jumped. And so to me, this this is very disturbing, this trend that uh, is going on. And now Canada is going to vote on this in March they're also going to take a vote about um, physician-assisted, you know, helping people die with mental illness. So if it's happening now in, in another country, it's beginning to be talked about in medicine in America. And that's what's disturbing me because I know how these trends tend to be. Mm. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental here in just a moment. Um, if you if you are struggling um we just wanted to remind you that uh, 988 is the new national um, three-digit hotline. Um, and and the Hope line is also uh, always available. Um, we want there to, we want you to see hope and to see light. And, um, and so if you're struggling, we want you to reach out for help. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental. This is um, Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. And We're going to keep this in front of us um, because euthanasia and the taking of a life um, in this way is is just suicide by a different name. And so we want to um, continue opening ourselves to this conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, 
all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. Um, you can find what we're talking about today at DrLindaMental.com. Um, euthanasia, the taking of a human life, um, is is wrong by every measure. Um, physician-assisted suicide puts the physician in a place they should never be in, which is the place of a taking of a life instead of um, seeking to preserve it and heal. Um, and so we're talking about that. You can read Linda's piece at drlindamental.com. Linda, the argument goes that um, someone is in such significant emotional pain and they want to die. Um, Are they in any position to objectively evaluate life, the value of life? I mean, like, right, this we're we're allowing someone who who we recognize, you know, can't make their own decisions about a range of things. And we're allowing them to make a decision about this one thing, which you could never undecide. Right. And your thinking gets so distorted when you're severely, severely depressed. I mean, that's why one of the major uh, therapies that people use is something called cognitive behavioral therapy, because we're trying to look at the thoughts that people are having that are leading to these conclusions that there's absolutely no hope. So no, it it doesn't make any sense to me, especially when a physician takes an oath that says do no harm, and that's part of the Hippocratic oath that we've been um, operating under. Now, I recently heard, Carmen, I don't know if it's true, I haven't looked it up, but I recently heard in a conference that there were some schools that were actually rewriting the Hippocratic oath. I think what's at the back of all of this that we need to think about is a person's worldview. So if you believe that people are no more than atoms and random molecules and there is no purpose, there is no meaning in life, you just live your life and the 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 whole thing is how can I enjoy and feel pleasure and have a good life? That is a materialistic view that a lot of people have that has nothing to do with God. And so if you believe that things get really, really bad and there's a point where people are suffering terribly and they don't want to be here, then a person who believes there's nothing after life, it's just, you know, it's just alleviating pain and suffering, then some people go to that conclusion. But as a Christian who believes that life has value and life is sacred and that people have meaning and purpose and our job is to introduce them to the Lord so that they can understand that there's a purpose and a creation. They were created for something to do to glorify God. So part of the problem is when people get to such a a despairing place is they don't feel they have purpose. They don't feel they have meaning. And we're not doing our job by not introducing them to the Lord. You know, I was when I was thinking about this this morning, I was praying before I came on, I'm old enough to remember a Steve Green song, and it just kept coming into my mind. It's an old song called People Need the Lord. And I remember the verse in that song. He says, every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care heading who knows where. 
On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides the silent cries. Only Jesus here hears. And then it says, people need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. When will they realize people need the Lord? And it goes on in that song, but his whole the whole song is take the light so that people can have hope and they can understand why they were created. They were made in the image of God to give him glory and for a purpose. Each person has that. I spend my entire career giving that hope to people. Why would I, when someone is in their deepest, deepest part of pain, agree that, yeah, there's nothing we can do. God is really not that big. He's, you know, he's not the God of the impossible. I would never do that with a patient. So it grieves my heart, but I know why, because my secular counterpoints believe that there's nothing more and there's no purpose in life if you can't just enjoy it to the fullest. And so if you're suffering, put an end to that suffering. And yet in the Christian world, we know that suffering can sometimes bring incredible deep intimacy with God. And there are times when that suffering can be used in in an incredible way, just like it's been used in my life as I suffered tremendously at the death of my brother. It has helped me over and over and over to be empathetic, to bring compassion and care to people who have also gone through tremendous loss. So God uses that pain that I had and he uses it to help other people. And so we need to help people meet the Lord when they're in that desperation place rather than offering to end their lives. So this effort to revise the um, the Hippocratic Oath uh, apparently does have some champions out there. And mm-hmm. the, the idea here, um, the language that I'm looking at is to put patient autonomy first. Right. That's the not, big, not big, right. Yeah. It's the big ethical, ethical principle. You're supposed to do, do no harm. You're supposed to do beneficence. You're supposed to have justice. You're supposed to have all these ethical principles. But what's happening in American medicine right now is autonomy is trumping everything. And that's when a physician becomes a Coke machine where the provider comes, the Mm. patient comes in, says what they want. And the physician just does that. That is not the professionalism that we've had in medicine for years and years and years. And that really needs to stop. Uh, healthy perspective. Thank you so much um, for bringing um, this sober conversation to us today. Linda, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Carmen. And I hope people can uh, give hope to anybody at any moment. It it shows in the research that if you just tell somebody there's hope, it really does help them, show them the way. And people need the Lord. And that is such an important reminder today. Thank you so much. That's Dr. Linda Mental. You can check out the Dr. Linda Mental show here on the Faith Radio Network, and you can visit her online, drlindamental.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's play a little game of fill in the blank. Hello, I am. What do you put on? What do you, what do you, what do you put there? Hello, I am. All right, here's another fill in the blank. I am known for, all right, let's try this one. This again, we're playing a little fill in the blank game here. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. One day I hope to, one day I hope to be, I used to be, Chuck and Ashley Elliott are going to fill in that last blank for us in just a moment. What's your answer? I used to be 
fill in the blank. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Chuck and Ashley Elliott. They are the authors of I Used to Be. Good morning, Chuck and Ashley. Good morning. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. All right. So um, you used to be neighbors and you used to be great friends to some people who moved away. You used to be employed at different workplaces. You used to be financially insecure. You used to be trusted. You used to be trusting. You used to be expecting a child. These are some of the um, ways that you filled in the blank of, uh, of the question, I used to be. Um, but what is the, what is the power of doing this kind of exercise of, of leaving a blank and allowing, you know, one another to sort of fill in that blank and then talk about it? We found that people didn't really want to fill in the blank or we didn't want to fill in the blank. Cause that means that we're being really specific about what we used to be. And when you get specific like that, it stings, but it's also powerful because if you can say, I used to be married then you're saying that's something that you miss, that you loved, and you can start processing past that point. So it's really powerful, but it also stings. So we've seen both sides of that. And for us, we definitely didn't want to stay in the stinging place and we don't want others to stay in the stinging place. So we use a relational thread kind of throughout the book to to help stitch our wounds back together and our identity and especially using biblical principles because we want people to work out their anger toward God, work out their frustration, or even if they feel distance or or they feel great with God, they'll see some scriptures and, and learn some principles that we see in other people's situations throughout scripture. So your stated goal um, in I Used to Be, uh, how to navigate large and small losses in life and find your path forward, your, your stated goal is really to help people, to help us process our losses. So can you just talk about this book as a process? Yes, we noticed in our own loss that we kind of went through some ebbs and flows, some good and bad days, and we felt off our game. And so as ministry leaders, we f- we struggled with ourselves. We felt like, man, what's wrong with me? I don't I don't feel like God maybe wants to use me. And, e- and even the the verse you guys just shared on the radio about Romans 8, like Jesus died while we we're sinners. Like we found like so often when we're in our sinful state or even our grieving state, whenever we didn't do anything wrong, but we just feel yucky, we kind of have this feeling that God loves us less. And so what that reveals is maybe a little bit of pride that happens whenever we are doing well, that we feel like, oh yeah, God's going to love me. He's going to pick me because I've done all these things for him. And I think that it just shows our shaky identity and either way isn't great. Like we don't want to you know, feel so terrible about ourselves, but we shouldn't also feel so great about ourselves whenever we're feeling good. But I think that realization just helped humble me and helped us to realize we're not alone in this. Other people feel distant from God whenever they're sinful, when they're grieving, and we want to help people find their path forward. So we give a process, you know, give yourself permission to grieve. We use techniques that we help people go through positive and negative coping mechanisms and build mental stability, look at their support system, understand the positive negative space. There's all kinds of little things that will help people find themselves 
maybe a little bit more aware of what's going on inside of them. Because there is a process. Sometimes people, when they lose somebody or something that they loved, they feel like they're just waiting until they feel better. And unfortunately, that's what happens with a lot of relationships, relationships with God and marriage, with your kids in the workplace. We kind of just wait for it to feel better. And oftentimes we just find ourselves in this negative mental space and we feel trapped, but there is something that you can do to make a shift. You all um, are so transparent in talking about your pregnancy losses. Um, it is a pregnancy loss is a real loss. Pregnancy loss isn't just um, a loss for the mom. It's a loss for the dad. So I'm wondering if we could just spend a moment talking about that, um, because one of the, you know, one of the things you really are so transparent about in this book is, you know, I used to be expecting a baby. Um, Chuck, I kind of would like to hear you address this question first, because I don't think we often talk to dads about pregnancy loss Mm -hmm. and the reality of grief. I had moments that I definitely didn't feel seen, but then I felt guilty at the same time. So rightfully so, when people would ask about how we were doing, they'd ask, how's Ash? How's Ash? And I'm not trying to minimize that at all. I don't understand what it means to have a baby in my belly. I get that. At the same time, I felt like I was grieving because we were no longer going to welcome this little one into the world because of this loss. I felt like a failure. I felt like I couldn't protect a kiddo. And it was it was deeper than I even anticipated that it was going to be. And just grief hits us in some different ways. And I had to realize that I might be feeling angry and that's something I'm upset because I felt like a failure or I'm upset or I'm angry because I didn't know how to process this. And I had to try to push myself to communicate with Ashley, even if I didn't feel like I had the same grounds or the same perspective that she did on the loss. And it's definitely a process. And it's something that I still work on today and being able to communicate, even if I feel like I'm thinking or feeling things differently than she is. Um, I found that for a lot of the guys that I have conversations with as well. And I wonder if sometimes people were asking Chuck, hey, how's Ash? Because it's hard to ask, how are you sometimes? That's a good point. People don't want to hurt the person or they don't don't know if it's a bad time. They don't want to bring it up at the wrong time. And so I didn't feel like I had very many people ask me, how are you? And I'd even notice people asking my mom, like, hey, how's Ash? And I think that it just felt a little bit of a softer way for people to ask, like ask someone near to that person. But again, yeah, I I didn't have people asking like, hey, how's Chuck doing? And I think that's wrong that people just don't think that there's anything that is affecting the guys when that's not true. And then I think sometimes what that does is makes guys think that they shouldn't have feelings about it. And I felt like more of a failure possibly because we had recurrent miscarriage in 2015, 16 and 17. So it was almost like I was failing at figuring things out, maybe medically, and I am not a physician. I am not a specialist in uh, reproductive health or anything like that, but it was still a shared process to say, okay, we're trying again. It's like, this isn't just Ashley's decision. This isn't just on her, even though I feel completely inadequate in the process, still engaging in that. I, I found that to be powerful for our relationship. You guys do a lot of um, coaching and talking um, about relationships. I want to direct people to your website, chuckandashley.com. If you click on the About Us, you can 
um, see all kinds of, of information and opportunities um, that, that Chuck and Ashley offer. Um, you've been doing this since before you had kids. You did this throughout the um, the pregnancy losses. Um, you have kids. Um, how how has, well, I want to ask this when we get back from a very brief break, but I want to know, like, how has your relationship with each other changed over the course of time, been sweetened and deepened and um, and grown through these losses? Because I think that one of the gifts that you give us in this book is not just the individual personal journey of navigating losses, um, but how to do it together. So can we can we talk about that next? Love to. Great. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Chuck and Ashley Elliott. They are, among other things, the authors of I Used to Be. And yes, we're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking about I Used to Be. How do you fill in that blank? Um, how to navigate large and small losses in life and find your path forward. Chuck and Ashley Elliott are the co-authors. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Chuck and Ashley, this um, we tend to think of you know grief recovery um, or the grief experience walking through the valley of the shadow. We think about that as an individual, an individualized experience. But you really encourage us to not only focus on one experience of loss at a time, but to embark on this journey together with someone else. Can you talk about that? It's a team sport. <laughs> Man, you do. we don't experience life in isolation. We have to be in community, whether that's a church or that's a marriage you have your kiddos with you. And part of the beautiful thing about biblical community is you learn about yourself from being in community. Okay. I can learn that I'm not very organized, Carmen, because I'm around Ashley, who's more organized than me. So it's like you learn some of those things and you can draw from it. But we found that after a loss, um, we really had to be on the same team. Ashley and I found that we had to do something like it's called an exit strategy. We had to figure out how are we going to be able to go places, but still feel safe. Yeah. We oftentimes would feel we had a lower frustration tolerance. So yeah, we're true. talking mm -hmm. with people and all of a sudden our kids are jumping around and I, I just would feel like it goes from a four to a 10 and frustration or anger. Mm -hmm. And I don't like myself. I feel like I'm not at my best. And so I need Chuck to help like step in and help me exit, help me get the kids in, under control and just different things like that, that took more deliberate communication to really be successful. And I think the temptation sometimes whenever we go through hard times is to isolate. I think that that comes from not feeling like we're our best self. So when our identity is shaken, we say, I don't, I don't think it would be good for me to be around. People. I don't want to be seen right now. Yeah. Or is anybody to tell me what I look like? <laughs> yeah. Or we don't think they'll like us. And I don't want to hear that either. I don't think I can handle another slap. No. And so it's easy to just pull in. And when we don't emotion or when we don't physically isolate, we emotionally isolate. And I think that's what I found myself doing sometimes. And to get out of that, we created an exit strategy where we would say, okay, if I get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, comes from the addictions field, then I'm going to try to take care of my physical body and get help. 
it's so hard sometimes to even recognize that. We feel like you're in a swarm of a bunch of people. We don't even pay attention to our basic needs. It's definitely one of those things where you feel like you really don't want it, but then after you get it, you appreciate it. After one of our losses, Ashley and I were walking out of the hospital and I've been on staff at a church for about a dozen years. And another one of the pastors was walking up to the front doors of the hospital to do another hospital visit. He didn't know that we were there and didn't know what we had experienced. And he met us on the sidewalk just by chance. And Mm -hmm. Ashley and I both cried and had a moment right there. And there's no way that I would have probably invited him to come, Mm -hmm. but him being there and us feeling seen, even though we didn't like what we looked like, was a beautiful moment. Um, where where um, are you a pastor and what is your um, your context of ministry? Yeah, I'm a pastor at Bethel Church in Evansville, Indiana, and I've had all different kinds of contexts. <laughs> I've been everything from high school to executive pastor and discipleship and all kinds of things. Right now I'm focused on students. So my mom's very first job was in Evansville, Indiana, which is why I asked. Oh, and, uh, she oh, she awesome. was a she was a high school science teacher, even though that is not what she had a degree in. It was like her minor, but that was the job that was available when she graduated from Purdue. Um, so I'm just wow. like when I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm just going to ask a little something about Evansville because it's a part of my yeah. history prior to my life. So um, yeah, kind of fun. That's awesome. I know. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. moved here because Ashley's family is all from here. We met in Tennessee at Lee University in Cleveland and really? then found jobs here. Yeah, and Ashley, um, her whole family's from here. Huge family. Um, I love it. And so we moved here. All right. Well, Ashley, you'll have to you'll have to ask anybody that would have been in high school in let's see, uh for the the early 1960s, you know, did they have Ruth Ann uh Fowler as a teacher? Um, because it, I'm sure they had a poor science education for sure. <laughs> she she <laughs> also, school? well, Evansville high school. I, I mean, like what, okay. could there have been more than one? Oh yeah. There's like five oh. I can think of in the just right. Vandenberg I'll, County school district. She's, yeah. she's 85. I'll ask her, I'll ask her and I'll get back with you okay. and the answer to that question. Or mom, if you're listening, <laughs> and you know right what? Now, I'm not going to tell. Show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not telling Ruth Ann that you said that their education would be subpar. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> no, totally. Totally. Everyone who listens to my show and knows how inept I am at science would be like, yeah, she 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 taught cooking and relationships, basically. That's my mom's and communication. Awesome. Those are her areas of expertise hey. for sure. Yeah. All important. Yeah. House and home furnishings, decorating. These are her wheelhouse, not science, but that's okay. Um, I digress. I apologize. So Chuck and Ashley, um, when you think about this book and you think about this, well, first of all, there's this process of kind of play, playing fill in the blanks and the conversations that can lead to. First of all, that's just brilliant, right? That's just fantastic mm. and great. So I appreciate that. Um, what's what's one thing you want to make sure that we take away from our conversation today about navigating loss and sort of the filling in the blank I used to be process? I think that we like the simplicity and the complexity of the fill in the blanks because it really simplifies. Like I used to be blank and whether we want to talk about it or we just want to keep it in our head. And as we're reading the book, people can go there and find help. And yet somehow, although it's simple, it's really emotionally heavy work. And so we want to give people permission to do that 
on their own or in community. And then also the, the goal is that it is this private place that we're pulling people to, to take to their relationships. And so we're not just inviting people to stay isolated, but we want people to heal. And ultimately the goal is that then they can be the community that other people needed because we often just think we're alone in our struggles. And so we're, we've found that we are not alone. We are obviously not alone because we have a heavenly father. But even in that, sometimes we feel alone because God doesn't just immediately jump in. But again, we can go to scripture and we can see that God was present at times whenever he didn't seem present. And so we can take that knowledge and put it within our own souls into our own circumstances. Mm, that's so good. Um, we do have copies of the book to give away. Chuck and Ashley Elliott. The book is I Used to Be. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Mary's on the text line this morning, and she says there is hope. Thank you for reminding us of that um, mm-hmm. and help helping us to communicate the hope we have in our relationship with Jesus. So thank you. Um, thank you, Mary, for weighing in on the text line. Um Chuck and Ashley, thank you so much for the ministry that you do each and every day. Thank you for the beauty of your relationship and letting other people see into it. Thank you for your vulnerability um, shared in in the book um, and shared in the conversations that you guys have each and every day in your ministry. You guys can connect with Chuck and Ashley at chuckandashley.com. The book is I Used to Be, and then there's a blank space for you to fill it in. How to Navigate Large and Small Losses in the Life uh, and in life and find your path forward. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Well, what is on your agenda for the day and how much space is there? How much margin, how much white space is there for God to be filling in some blanks? Mm-hmm. Is there a conversation that you have been um, hesitating to have, you've been putting off? Is there a letter you need to write? Is there a text you need to send? Is there a call you need to make? Is there a visit you need to make? Um, Is there a sidewalk you need to go stand on outside of a courthouse or a hospital? Um, I just encourage you to make that space today where God can use you as his ambassador, his agent of grace, his minister of reconciliation, um, open up a conversation with some blanks in it for folks to have the opportunity to speak out of their own experience and um, and for you to walk with them. For some today on this anniversary of September 11th, it's going to be um, a very difficult walk down memory lane. And for um, others of us, it's going to be a walk with somebody who no longer remembers. And that's painful as well. Um And so let's just hold one another gently today. Treat one another with kindness today. It costs us nothing. It costs us nothing to be kind and generous with grace. We have been so blessed. Let us in turn be a blessing to others. Be the bearer of good news today and walk gently with those who are walking in paths of loneliness and um, paths of loss and help them navigate it together. Thank you so much for this time together. What a blessing. What a gift. Um, visit us online at MyFaithRadio.com. We've got lots of resources, and we'd love to connect with you. Have a great day, and God bless.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.